Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, we're continuing on our series of worship. I'm trying to prime you, our listeners, to our conference coming up September 17th and 18th at Valley Shepherd Church. It is our annual Reformation Boise Conference. The theme this year is Be Thou My Vision. Two great speakers, Dr. Robert Godfrey, Dr. Terry Johnson. Please go to ReformationBoise.com. You can find all the details there as well as register. I guess as a, as a way of introduction this morning, I was thinking about this. If you look in the New Testament, essentially all of the letters that the Apostle Paul or Peter or whoever writes, they are essentially letters on how to worship God. For example, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters tell us what God has done for us through Christ, and then the last four chapters tell us how to worship God, how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, how to be husbands and wives, how to be children, how to be slaves and masters. In essence, what Paul is saying is this is how you worship in each of the stations that you find yourself in. And that's true in every single letter in the New Testament. In other words, every letter is essentially a letter to teach us how to worship God in our lives. This is why this theme is so massive. I mean, is there anything bigger than, than worship? No. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the book of Romans, you've got 11 chapters of theology and of doctrine, and then you get to chapter 12, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, based on what? Based on everything I've taught you in the first 11 chapters, that's the foundation for what? By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. All of that doctrine, all of that theology was for one end, which was worship. Right. To equip you to worship God in life, in all of life. it's, It's encompassing. So I don't think there is a topic that is more important I think we, unfortunately, in the modern church, have defined worship so narrowly that it amounts to what the, the praise band does at the beginning of worship service or the songs that we sing during, during a worship service. Mm-hmm. And I would say that worship is life, yeah. um, that it's all of our life. And so hopefully what we've been talking about the last couple of days has been helpful, but hopefully you'll be able to come to the conference on September 17th and 18th and, and hear how worship is so much bigger and larger and fuller and richer than probably we've we've given attention to. Mm. You were talking about Romans and how all that doctrine led to uh, worship. Uh, there's an interesting quote by Dorothy Sayers years ago. She said, official Christianity of late years has been having what is known as, a, as bad press. We are constantly assured that the churches are empty because preachers insist on too much doctrine. Dull dogma, as people call it. The fact is the precise opposite. It is the neglect of doctrine that makes for dullness. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of men. And the dogma is the drama. 
Yeah. And, you know, so the whole, pl- he, she, she goes on, the plot pivots on this single character and the whole action is answered in a single central problem. What do you think of Christ? And that's what we do when we gather, uh, when we think about worship, it, really what we're asking ourselves, what do we think of Christ? Yeah. How has he, how has he been involved in our life? What is our response to him? You know, so our mouth becomes a matter of praise. Yeah. Well, and this is the culmination of all the history. I mean, go to the book of Revelation. What are the best parts of that book? It's, it's when we come into his presence and when all of our sin is taken away so that we can worship God perfectly you in truth worthy. and sincerity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. In fact, worship comes from a, the, the, the old English word uh, you were describing the worth of God. Right. You need to not do worth. that in between donut bites, okay? I know. <laughs> worth. You're worth. killing me over I here. I couldn't get my I couldn't get my my mouth around that word worthship. It's worthship. Um, what is what is God worth? That's right. I mean, we're describing His worth. That's right. All right. Well, today we're talking about the distinctiveness of worship. Another way to say this is that we are going to address our tendency to practice syncretism in worship. So, brothers, what is syncretism? What's a good definition of syncretism? Well, you know, it it would, you know, when we're talking worship, it's taking something from the world or taking from the the, the idols of the world and and that and bringing it into the church and and trying to match it up, trying to harmonize with something that the world does and bring it into your worship. I'd have to go back and check, but I don't think syncretism across the board has to be negative. I'd have to check the definition. But in a, in a good in, marriage, you have syncretism. Mm-hmm. You, right. you, you've got the, the background, the traditions, the practices of the husband, the background, the traditions and practices of the wife coming together into the home. And in a good marriage, it's a healthy blending of those two um, backgrounds and and practices and ideas into one, mm-hmm. um, so that's a positive view of syncretism. In religion, it's almost a hundred percent negative, right? And it's addressed quite extensively in God's Word. No, you're not going to take the religious practices of other nations, the Old Testament, and what I've commanded and meld them together and get something that's good. God condemned that pretty strongly of you I'm not combined with anybody else mm-hmm. and the religious practices that I prescribed are not to be combined with the religious practices of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you know a few days ago you were talking about Nadab and Abihu who who brought a strange incense to worship and and the Lord dealt with them in that way you know immediately punishing destroying them. You know, those things are examples of God's abhorrence of that very thing of trying to bring something to the religious worship of him mm-hmm. that is outside of something that he's commanded us to do. Well, syncretism was the, the downfall of the northern kingdom of Israel. When Solomon's son Rehoboam, when, when the kingdom was split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Jeroboam set up an altar in Samaria because he didn't want 
the Israelites to go down to Jerusalem yes. so that he would lose their loyalty. Yeah. And, but he never denied worshiping the Lord. Yeah. We're just going to do it here. We're just going to do it we're, here. We're, we'll have a calf up here. Right. We'll do this. We're worshiping the Lord because he he didn't want to see the people reunified around right. uh, around God alone. You know, but the you know, the problem with uh, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, it was all set up by their father Solomon, too, yeah. because Solomon you know, in his own, in his own idolatrous um, behavior, uh, particularly in relationship to his many wives, he allowed uh, he he set up a number of different altars in high places around to appease other worshipers, yeah. uh, those that were worshiping something else besides God. That's right. I would suggest that the syncretism. I don't suggest this. This is what the Bible teaches, that the syncretism is idolatry. Mm-hmm. I would maintain that that idolatry started in the garden, that God had declared to Adam and Eve how he was to be worshipped and what was the appropriate way to live before him. And Eve decided to take what God had said and what the serpent had said and bring them together. And she practiced a worship that was not acceptable. Mm-hmm. She went outside of the bounds. Um, and that that's our human tendency. Mm-hmm. And the nation of Israel, before going into the promised land, uh, Moses is giving them clear instructions, um, really beginning in, in Deuteronomy 6 forward about how you are to interact with the nations that are in already in the land that you're supposed to conquer. And in Deuteronomy 12, he says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to depossess and you dispossess and dwell in the land, take care that you are not ensnared to follow them. Mm-hmm. See, that's the tendency. Yeah. After they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their God saying, how did those nations serve their gods that I may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Yeah. And... That's the tendency of the human heart, that we, 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 instead of following what God has said in his word, we look around to the culture around us and say, but maybe we should try a little bit of that. Yeah. Wait, that works in, the, in society, so let's use that practice. Yeah. I think the tendency to look, is to look back at this passage and say, yeah, but the, those were, I mean, they worship, those, those were pagans, they worship statutes, so that has nothing to do with us. Say, actually, it has everything to do with us. How does the world pursue money? As Christians, are we to pursue money like that? How does the world treat sex? As Christians, are we to treat sex like that? And when we adopt those on any subject under the sun that, and bring that into our worship, that's syncretism. It's an, it's an idolatry at that, at that point. We're talking about the idols of the heart and, and bringing that. This is how I want it to look in my church or in my worship. Uh, there's a certain elevation of those themes. I think that one of the things when we're talking about syncretism, we have to be careful that we don't we're we're not confusing that with a certain kind of indigenous kind of worship, a cultural kind of worship. I mean, as as uh, you know, North American Christians, we there's a, a certain culture about the worship that we have. Those there are circumstances that take place in our worship that are unique to our culture, which wouldn't be unique if we were, say, in South Africa or, you know, in in the Middle East somewhere. There are cultural aspects to worship. Yeah. 
um, in how we express ourselves. But what he's concerned about is bringing the world's, the world's, um, you know, you know, the syn- syncretizing, you know, those idolatries. Almost a marketing that, perspective of saying, okay, what can we do using worldly wisdom and techniques in order to get more people right. into church? Mm-hmm. How can we use worldly tactics? And then we we put this veneer over him and say, no, we're going to Christianize him. Right. So, and and what God is saying is, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why Why do you approach the world as if they get to declare how I'm approached, how I'm worshipped? And I can confess that as a pastor, you know, years ago, you know, finding yourself in that kind of mentality. You're reading all this stuff about church growth and what will grow your church and that, and you, and you get this sense that if I build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And you, if I do it this way, this will appeal to people. And so we, we tend to, we, we market ourselves to an, you know, an unchurched uh, population, but we forget that the Bible tells us spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. And it is the spirit who actually brings that worship rather than you know the the marketing so so we have to stop worshiping at that altar of if i do it this way uh, and so you're syncretizing with the world yeah well you've been listening to the gospel for life please go to reformationboise.com you can find all the details for our upcoming reformation conference as well as register those who register will get receive a gift certificate to spend at the book table. We hope to see you there September 17th and 18th, reformationboise.com. 